Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Revelation, chapter number 3. We are having a good time on these Sunday mornings studying the seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. I, I, I say we're having a good time. Let me say it this way. I'm having a good time. I hope you're having a good time too. And today we come to church number six. It is the church in Philadelphia. The church in Philadelphia. Now, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but Philadelphia, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and this is the church that we're studying today. It's interesting. Philadelphia is one of only two churches in these chapters in Revelation that Jesus had nothing negative to say about. The other church was the church of Smyrna. In, in fact, these... Many, most of the churches, Jesus had something negative to say. Look, for example, in chapter number 2. We studied the church in Ephesus, and we saw that in verse number 4, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. In other words, Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, You're doing a lot of good things, but you don't love me as much as you used to love me. And so he reprimanded them for that. Now, in verse number 8 is the church in Smyrna. That's the persecuted church. Jesus had nothing negative to say about them. They were doing great. In verse 12, we read about Pergamos. They were the compromising church, and they compromised their convictions, compromised God's Word, and Jesus got on to them. In verse number 18, we read about the church of Thyatira. They were the corrupt and sinful church. Jesus got on to them, and He said, there's sin in the church, and you need to deal with it. In chapter 3, in verse, beginning in verse 1, we read about the church in Sardis. That was the dead church. That was the church that we studied last week, how the majority of the members of that church had never been saved. And we talked last week about the importance of knowing that we're saved and not trusting our church membership for our salvation but only trusting Jesus Christ. And let me give an update since we have two services and we don't always know what's happening in the other service. As last Sunday morning, I, now it was Father's Day Sunday, and we're preaching about a church that was unregenerate. People had never been born again. And when we gave the invitation in both of those services to the glory of God, there were 20 people who got saved last Sunday morning. I praise God for that. 20 people who stood up. Maybe more than that, but that's, that was the number we counted last Sunday, so thank God. Now, today, beginning in verse 7, we're reading about the faithful church in Philadelphia. And this church was true to God, and when Jesus spoke to them, He had nothing but positive things to say to them. No reprimand, uh, no condemnation. He didn't get on to them for anything. They were doing everything right. And we're going to be blessed this morning studying about that church, the church in Philadelphia. Now, it's interesting, and I did not know this until I started studying for this sermon last Monday, that there was a man named Attalus II. Now, I'm not a huge history guy, and maybe you're not either, but this is interesting. A-T-T-A-L-U-S, Attalus II. And in the year 190 B.C., he founded the city that this church would later be established in. Well, he happened to have a brother named Eumenes. And Eumenes had gotten very sick. He had lost his health, and he was struggling and fighting for his life. Well, Attalus, again, the founder of this city, had great love for his brother, and he did everything within his power to help his brother during his time of sickness and illness. In fact, his love for his brother 
was so strong that the city was named in honor of that relationship. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And even today, that's what the one in Pennsylvania, that's what it means. It's the city of brotherly love. And so this city itself was established on love, the love of one brother for another brother. And the church that many years later was founded and established in this city was built not only on love for God and love for each other, built on faith in Jesus Christ, but it was established and built and endured for many, many centuries as a faithful, faithful church. Now... In just a moment, we're going to get into the verses and learn some specifics about this. But as I think about the message, remember, Jesus, for all seven of these churches, has a specific message, something that he wanted to say to these churches. I've tried to read this and think about it and get the message of Jesus in a concise fashion. And this really was the message that Jesus had for this church. He said this, I know your circumstances are less than ideal, but I'm touched by the fact that you have remained faithful to me. You have honored me. Be assured that I will honor you in return. Now, I want them just to leave that up there for a moment. And I want to ask you today, if Jesus came to your house this afternoon, and you and Jesus were able to have a conversation together today, could Jesus say that to you? Could he say to you today, I know your circumstances are less than ideal. Some of you are living in a time right now where your circumstances are less than ideal. You are going a in, you're going through something, you're up against something that's very difficult, and God knows all about that. But could he say this to you? But I'm touched by the fact that you have remained faithful to me. And I guess that's really at the heart of this message today. Here's the question. Are you a faithful Christian? Last week, the question was, are you a Christian? Do you know that you've been saved? This week, we're taking it a step farther and asking this, are you a faithful Christian? And then he said this, to the church in Philadelphia, you have honored me, be assured that I will honor you in return. Could Jesus say that to you today? Could he say, I, look, I've noticed in your life with what you're going through, you're remain, you've remained faithful to me. You have and you are honoring me, and I'll make you a promise. I'm going to honor you as a result. In fact, as I have thought about this church in Philadelphia and the message Jesus had for them, I thought about a verse, one of my favorite in all the Bible, in the Old Testament. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30. God was speaking, and notice what God said. He said, those who honor me, I will honor. Say that with me. Those who honor me, I will honor. That's a little part of a bigger verse. Those who honor me, I will honor. God is saying this to us today. If you will honor me with your life, God says, as a result of that, I will honor you. It's a tremendous promise from God. Now, let's pick up in verse number 7 of chapter 3, and let's read about this church in Philadelphia. And to the angel, or as we have said, this is the messenger or the pastor of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. That's a reference to the fact that Jesus is the one who determines who enters the city of God in heaven. He has the key to that. Who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. 
have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. There were Jewish people in the area of Philadelphia who were trying to make these Christians in the church of, of in, the church in Philadelphia conform to all the Jewish laws in the Old Testament. And they were saying the way you get saved is not by trusting the blood of Jesus. The way you get saved is by keeping all these laws. And they were opposing the Christians. And Jesus said, there'll come a day when these who are in this synagogue, Jesus called it a synagogue of Satan because they had rejected the blood of Christ. They will come and bow before your feet. What was he saying? He was saying, I'm going to fight your battles. I'm going to take care of your enemies. Verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. This was a reference to the tribulation that would soon come upon the earth, beginning in uh, chapter number 6. But Jesus said, for those who are saved, you're going to be raptured out of, the, out of here, taken to heaven before the tribulation comes to the earth. That's what this is talking about, the hour of trial which shall come to the whole world. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Jesus is saying, for those of you who are saved, for those of you who stay faithful to me, not only are you going to go to heaven, but when you get to heaven, you're going to have a place of honor there. You're going to be a pillar in the house of God, a place of honor and a place of significance. And Jesus said, my Father's name will be written on you, my name will be written on you, and the name of the new Jerusalem will be written on you. Verse 13, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so Jesus is saying to this church, you've been faithful. You've, you're going through a a struggle out there. You've got these people who are, they don't know it, but they're working for the devil, and they're opposing everything that you're doing. But rest assured, I will give you the victory. Keep being faithful. Keep doing what you are doing. Now, as I've thought about this passage, as I prepared this sermon, as I turned in the outline for the bulletin, you'll notice in your outline today that we have two different categories. We have a category, first of all, that says, what will God do for those Christians who remain faithful to him. And then I have several things listed out underneath that. And then we have another category that says, you know, how can we be faithful to God? What does it mean to be faithful? And I have several things listed out underneath that. So I think if I'm remembering correctly, there are seven different blanks in that, in your outline today. Well, it's interesting, last night about 9.30, I got my Bible, I got my notes, and I said, I'm going to just read over this sermon one more time before in the morning. And as I did that, I thought, you know what? The first point is so good, and it is something we don't talk very much about, and it is so important that what I want to do today is skip all the other six blanks and spend all of our time on that first blank. Now, that should make some of you very happy right there to know that I just knocked out 85% of the sermon, and we're going to just do one blank because this is so very important. What I want to say to you today is this. If you are a faithful Christian, 
That is, you, yeah, you go through difficulties, heartache, sadness, opposition, physical problems, sometimes financial setbacks, all the things that everybody deals with in life. And yet, in the midst of all that, if you will remain faithful to God. Now, I could give you all the blanks and say, here's all the things God's going to do to you. And I tried to kind of hinted some of that when I was commenting on the verses I read. But I want to focus on one thing today because I want you to get this in your mind and get this in your heart. If you will focus on being faithful to God, staying with Him, trusting in Him, serving Him with all of your heart, here's what God's going to do. He will open doors for you. And that's the message of this uh, that I want us to focus on today. In fact, that's the only thing we're going to think about for the rest of the way. Now go back and look in verse number 7. And notice what Jesus says. He says at the end of verse 7, He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. When Jesus says he who, he's talking about himself. In my Bible, this is red letter edition and the pronouns for he are capitalized (laughs) because it's talking about Jesus. In verse number 8, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Here's the promise. Jesus says this, in your life, if you will just make a decision and make a determination, you're going to be faithful to me. No matter what happens, here's what you're going to experience in your life. You're going to experience doors supernaturally open for you. Sometimes, he says, you're going to experience doors being closed. And when those doors are closed, it's going to be discouraging and it's going to be confusing and you're going to think, I have forgotten you and abandoned you and left you because you really wanted to walk through that door. But God says, I'm going to close some doors because if you walk through those doors, it would be disastrous. So when I close a door, don't try to open it. If I close a door, let that door be closed. And rest assured, every time one door closes, another door will open. And when I open a door, Jesus says, no one can shut it. He didn't say that no one could oppose it. In other words, if if God is opening a door for you or for me or for us as a church to serve Him, He didn't say that no one can oppose the work of God, but He did say this, no one can shut the door. Because when I open a door, it will not be shut. And so God, for faithful Christians, supernaturally opens doors. And that should be our testimony today as we think about our own lives. Since we've been saved, the many years that we've tried to walk with God, we should be able to look back on our lives and say, you know what? I have seen times in my life when God supernaturally opened a door. He made a way for me where there seemed to be no way. One of my favorite songs says it this way, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me, and He will. If we'll be faithful to Him, we're going to experience in our lives God doing what? Opening doors, giving us opportunities, divine connections, meeting people that we need to meet, experiencing things that we need to experience. Some of you have noticed this in your uh, work. You needed a job, God opened a door. We've noticed it, certainly we've noticed it here in our church. Let me say, and and for those of us who've been around a long time, we know this, but this land that we're sitting on today, these buildings that we're sitting in today are the direct result of a fact that God on the corner of Fairmont and Red Bluff many years ago opened a door for First Baptist Church that we could build a church out here, 
and that we could reach as many people as possible for Jesus Christ. We know that where our church is situated, it, it is, you couldn't have a better location. We're kind of at the, at the crossroads, at the intersection, as it were, of, of Pasadena and of uh, Deer Park and Laporte. Deer Park has about 35,000 folks living in it. Laporte has about the same number. Pasadena has over 150,000. Uh, Seabrook, not far from here at all, and we have lots of members from Seabrook, has about 13,000 people living there. Kima has almost 3,000 people. And so we are at an intersection where God has opened a door for us, for our church to be right at this place at this time to reach as many people as we possibly can. You say, John, do you really think that it matters that we're sitting right here? Well, I guarantee you it matters. First of all, it matters because it's God's will. And if we didn't reach anybody, it would matter because we've got to be in God's will. But he put us here to reach people. I'll tell you the most recent example I have. Last Sunday... In the, uh, in the 11 o'clock service, preached a sermon, same sermon I preached at this service, gave the invitation, and there was a couple sitting right down here to my left who prayed the prayer to be saved. Well, sitting one or two rows in front of them was one of our ministers. And as she and her husband were sitting there listening and praying during the invitation, she noticed that she, she heard somebody praying about two rows behind her. And so after the service was over with, she went up to this couple and she said, listen, I just want to introduce myself to you and, and tell you that I don't mean to mind your business or get into your business, but I couldn't help but hear that you were praying that prayer when John was giving people a chance to be saved. She said, I couldn't help but notice that you were, were praying that prayer. And they said, well, we were praying that prayer. One of them spoke up and said, we were praying that prayer. And he said, the interesting thing is, this is the first time we've ever been to First Baptist. And she said, well, we're just so glad you came today. She said, who invited you? And he said, well, to be honest with you, nobody invited us. We've been driving by this church every day, and we keep seeing the signs about y'all having church and on Sunday mornings and so on. And he said, to tell you the truth, we saw the sign last week that said you've got a contemporary service at 11 o'clock. And he said, for us, that's kind of the type of service we were looking for. And so we just decided to come and to go to that service. And, and, she, and he said, you know, during the service, we got convicted that we needed to be saved. And we just asked Jesus to come in our heart. And they went with Pam Deshawn was who had heard them pray that prayer. She took them to the family room, got them all plugged in. But I thought, now, you know, there's an example. Think about during the course of a week how many thousands of cars drive down Fairmont drive down Red Bluff, drive down Center Street, and just see this church. God has supernaturally opened a door for us. And I want to say this, too, to brag on First Baptist Pasadena if I can. You know, we started the uh, contemporary service back in October. And we all have our own musical preferences. Every, you know, everybody has their own, and I'm the same way. Except for me, I just like all of it. I'll be honest with you, I just like all the music. But uh, I didn't get one single complaint from a member of First Baptist about starting a contemporary show. You know, a lot of churches start that, oh, I can't believe we're doing it. You know, the attitude of First Baptist was, even if that's not your cup of tea and that's not your favorite kind of music, the attitude of First Baptist was, if by starting a contemporary service, we can reach people we might not reach, start the service, strike up the band, bring in the people, let's see some folks get saved. And I want to just tell you, it's a blessing to be a part of a church like that. Well, that's an example I had last week about 
our church being here and God has supernaturally opened the door for us. Something else I want you to add to your prayer list because I sense that God is opening a door here at First Baptist for our student ministry. You know, and our students will be in the next service, but I want to say this about student ministry, about our junior high and high school ministry. We need to be in prayer for that ministry because all across the nation you're seeing that student ministries are not as strong as they used to be back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even in the early parts of 2000. So students today have got a lot of options with what to do with their time other than go to church. And yet, I have said to the staff, my dad has said to the staff, and we believe this all of our heart, in order for us to be as strong of a church as we can possibly be, we've got to have a strong student ministry. Because without a strong student ministry, you really don't hit on all cylinders. And so I, I'm asking you to pray for our student ministry. I got some numbers last week. In the city of Deer Park, did you know that there are almost 7,000 6th through 12th graders? Almost 7,000. In Pasadena, there are over 22,000. In Laporte, there are almost 4,000. Here at our own First Baptist Christian Academy, we have 265 students in 6th through 12th grade. Now, beginning this fall, our two student ministers are going to start serving as chaplains of First Baptist Christian Academy so that they will be with those students, you know, a couple of times during the week and at some of their activities, in addition to what they're trying to do in Deer Park and LaPorte and in Pasadena. But I just wish that you would pray for our student ministry that God would, would do a fresh work there. I was encouraged last Wednesday night in our junior high service, we had more students than we've had in about a year and a half. And, and, and about half of the kids who came had never been here before. They were visitors. And so I know that we're not students, and that doesn't necessarily apply directly to us. But I would encourage you to pray that God would open a door and that we would have a strong and a vivacious and a, and a live student ministry. And the point I'm making is God is a God who has opened a door for our church, opened a door for people to get saved, those people to get saved. We're praying open door for the student ministry. I'll tell you something else. I'm sensing God opening a door for in, in the church. We're seeing this for our radio ministry. We don't talk much about that because we're here in church, and we don't need to listen to the sermons on radio if we come in church. But God put on our heart, especially mine on this one, a few years ago to have a radio ministry. And here's what I say, especially mine, because my life has been especially blessed by pastors I'm thinking of some in California, thinking of a man who pastored in Memphis, Tennessee, another man in Atlanta, Georgia, pastors in Dallas, who made a decision years ago that they wanted to take the gospel beyond the walls of their church and get the gospel to as many people as possible. And some of those pastor's sermons God has used in my own life to help me in a plethora of ways, not the least of which was to come to the full assurance of my own salvation. And so I have thought in my heart, and Dad's right, we're certainly together on this, that if we at First Baptist could get the gospel beyond the walls of the church, you know, the Bible says the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. 
And what we, we have a mandate from God. Jesus said in the Great Commission that we're to go and take the gospel to everybody. And the radio ministry is just one small way in addition to other ways that we're doing that. But we have seen and we are seeing God supernaturally open doors to take the gospel to people we'll never meet in person, to cities we'll never preach in personally. And he's opening doors and we're going there. And recently he, he opened a door for us to have a program in Indianapolis and in Pittsburgh. And we have heard from some listeners in both of those cities. One man in Pittsburgh, after service, made sure that he prayed to be saved. We've heard from people in Indianapolis. One of the most tender things I've ever experienced, or at least in a long time, we got a letter a few weeks ago from a lady in Indianapolis who listens to the services. And she said, I just want you to know, I've never been to First Baptist Pasadena, Texas. May never get to go down there. But your church is making a difference in my life and in my husband's life and in our family's life, and we believe in what you're doing. And she said, we want to make a gift to your ministry. And she said, I wish we could give more. And she said, but we don't have much money. And she wrote a check and enclosed a check in her letter, and the check was for $5. And when I opened that and read that, I thought, you know, in the eyes of God, that is, that is $5,000 or $50,000 because if I... $5 check from Indianapolis. Later that same week, we received another gift for $40,000 for the radio ministry. So that week, we received $40,500. Well, I called, and $5. I called our friend who kind of helps head up that radio ministry, and I said, listen, God's provided. And I told him those two stories, and I said, I don't want you to be in a hurry. I don't want you just to try to spend that money, but I want you to pray. And I want you to ask God to open a door for us to be in the right city for our next program, and let's just however long it takes, as long it takes. Well, he started praying, and he called me a few days later, and he said, John, you're never going to believe what's happened. He said, this is just totally out of the blue today. He said, I received a phone call from a radio station in San Francisco and they have made us an offer to be on, and I've been wanting to get in California, to be on in San Francisco Monday night through Friday night at 6 p.m. And he said the price they have made, the offer they have made to us is unbelievable. And he gave it to me, and I couldn't believe how reasonable it was. And he said, John, I think we can, with that money, be on in San Francisco, and we can pick another city to be on. And then God opened a door for us to be on a city, a radio program in Omaha, Nebraska. But the point I'm making is God supernaturally opening doors. $5 gift, $40,000 gift, radio stage coming up. God is a God of open doors, and we thank Him for that, and we praise Him for that. And you say, well, John... I'm glad to hear that God's opening doors for the church and people are being saved and radio ministry and the gospel is being preached in other places, but, but I'm not a preacher and that's, that's good. I'm excited about that, but how about in my own life? How is God going to open any doors for me? Well, I wish you could see my notes. I've got so many illustrations in here that I wish I had time to, uh, to tell all of them, but I don't, so God give me wisdom to know which ones to tell and which ones, <laughs> which ones to leave out. I'll give you this story. We have a man in our church, he and his wife own a window company. They install windows. In fact, I've been wanting to get some new windows in my house. I live in an older home, and, and I've been kind of budgeting and saving my money for the last few years. And last year, I, I called him, and I said, hey, I, want, I need some new windows in my house. So if we have one of these big storms, I won't have to worry about it. And so he came out there, and, 
and measured my windows and gave me a price. And I said, let's do the job. And he put new windows in my house. And when it was over with, I was so thankful and so excited about it. And, and I said, man, I just I appreciate these are quality windows. You've, you've done a fair price. Everything about this is good. He said, you know, John, he said, God has blessed our business in, in just amazing ways. And he said, I want to just tell you a story of how good God has been. Now, this is not a preacher story. This is a window story. And he, uh, he said, you know, we started coming to First Baptist about 20 years ago. And when we started coming, your dad was teaching about tithing. And we heard that. And we thought, man, I don't know if we're going to be able to tithe. He said, but we, we made a commitment and we started tithing. And we didn't know how we were going to be able to pay the bills, but we did. And God's honored us. And he said, you know, there have been times along the way that, that God has put on our hearts to, to help people. And... and uh, and we've, we've tried to do that. And he said, every time that we've tried to help somebody, God's just blessed us in incredible ways. He told a story about one lady. She, she had just become a widow, and her house had been damaged with a storm. And somehow she got his business's name and called, and he went to her house, and she was in tears. And she said, you're never going to believe what happened. She said, my husband died, and I'm trying to learn how to do everything. And she said, I needed new windows. And she said, I've, I've hired this contractor to come out to my house to put in new windows for me. And, and he charged me a, a price. It was like in the neighborhood of, it was a big house in the neighborhood of like $30,000. And she, she said, so I wrote him a check for $30,000. And he took out my windows. And he said, okay, in a, in a few days, I'll be here with your new windows. And she said to my friend, she said, you know, the man never did come back. He took my windows and he took my $30,000. He did the same with her floors. And he, she said, I, I, I just got to get windows in my house. I can't live without windows. And my friend talked to his wife, and he said, you know, John, I'm not saying this to brag on me. I'm saying this to tell you how good God's been to us. He said, we just gave her the windows. And, and as a result of that, God's done so much for our business. He said, after Hurricane Harvey, he said, there was a family living down in Friendswood, husband and wife, two daughters. He said, in fact, the, the wife and mother had died of cancer a year before Harvey. And during Hurricane Harvey, Water started coming to these people's house, and the, 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 the father got nervous and very agitated and excited and, and, and worried about what was going to happen with this rising water, and, and he ended up having a heart attack and dying. And now they got these two daughters who've lost both parents, very young, early, early 20s, and when the storm was over, they, they needed new windows, they needed new everything, and she said, he said, their neighbor gave them my name because I know their neighbor and said, you ought to call this guy. He'll come out here and take care of you. And he said, so I went out there. He said, John, they had a big house, 22 windows. But he said, I looked at the fam these girls and I thought about what they had lost and I went home and talked to my wife about it and, and we decided together we ought to just give them the 22 windows. These girls have lost everything. He said, John, we just gave them the 22 windows. See, what were they doing? They were being faithful. They were, they, were, they were doing right by God, and they were doing right by people. And that doesn't mean if you own a business, you just always give things away. But it does mean there are times when God just impressed on your heart, just do something extra. And they did something extra, and he said, John, we were glad to do it, and we didn't think anything about it, several thousand dollars, but God had been good to us, and God had put that on it. He said, that was a ministry we could do for them. He said, John, several weeks after that, we received, or I received a phone call from a, a huge business in Louisiana, 
And they build buildings all over this part of Louisiana. And the owner of the company called and said, listen, we got your name from a reliable source. We need some windows here in our, in our building. Said the windows we've got are, are old and they leak. Every time we have a storm, it leaks. And is there any way you could talk to us about putting in windows? Well, the guy didn't know how many. He thought maybe you know, 50 or 60 windows. And he said, well, yeah, I can put in some windows. He said, I guarantee you my windows won't leak. And so my friend drives to Louisiana and looks at the stuff and says, I can put these windows in. He said, he said, how many windows are you talking about? How many windows do you need? He said, well, we need about 1,500 windows put in. And that man, my friend probably almost had a heart attack when he said that. 1,500. He said, John, I'm telling you that story to say, God put it on our hearts to give away 22 windows. And God put it on that man's heart in Louisiana to call me, and we have sold 1,500 windows. You see, when God looks down, we ought to thank God for that. When God looks down and sees somebody being faithful, God says, those who honor me, I will honor. Yes, it's true for preachers. Yes, it's true for church. Yes, it's true for reaching people. But it's true out there in the real world, too. It's true for men who sell windows. If we will do what God has called us to do, the promise remains, those who honor me, I will honor. We have a friend, my family and I, it lives in Georgia. Several years ago, he had pastored a very large church for many years. He retired. He resigned, retired the church. He thought thought he should retire. Well, after he retired, another door opened for him to pastor another church. He goes and pastors that church for 15 more years. After 15 years, he just said God put it on his heart that he needed to do something else, and so he resigned from that church. And, and he told me about a year ago, he said, John, I just feel like God wants me to take about a year now, my wife and I. She's having health problems was the primary reason he had done that, to, re, to, to kind of retire. He said, I, I just feel like that God wants us to take about a year and pray and refresh ourselves and see what God has next for us in the journey. Well, it's been during COVID, and with his wife having physical illnesses, especially before the vaccine, they didn't feel safe going, even going to church, and he was afraid she was going to get something. And So he said, John, we've been watching First Baptist Pasadena, and I want, he called me yesterday to tell me this story, and I already knew this part. He said, I just want you to know we are happy online members at First Baptist Church Pasadena, Texas. And he said, had an opportunity recently to go and become an interim pastor at a large church near where we live. And he said, but I felt in my heart for some strange reason that God, at this point in my ministry, wants me to help smaller churches. And so he said, I've started preaching at a church five miles from my house. My wife and I can go every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night. And he said, they have asked me to become the interim pastor. And he said, I told the church when they asked me that, okay, I'm going to pray about it. But I'm going to tell you on the front end, if I become the interim pastor of this church, you need to know I am still an online member at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And he said they pray for us every week when they have church. He said, John, my first Sunday, we had 23 people at our church in the service. He said the next Sunday, we had 49 I said, well, Doc, you've doubled it in one week. If it keeps going like this, you'll be the largest church in the nation. He said, well, I don't know if it'll keep going like this, but we're having a good time. He said, I want you, John, to tell those people in Pasadena, they don't know me. But I want them to know 
that First Baptist Church, Pasadena, Texas, has got a satellite location in Noonan, Georgia, called White Oak Baptist Church. Now, I didn't know we had a church in Georgia, but now we've got one. He says we're partners together. Now, here's a man and his wife serving God. He, God put on their heart, largely because of COVID, you, you need to step aside and you don't need to be around people right now with her health issues. And so they did. And he didn't know what was going to happen to him in the future. He thought maybe his preaching days were over. And he said, John, God has opened a door for me. He said, in the last week, I've preached three different funerals. I'm out there ministering to people, doing what God's called me to do. I've never been happier in all my life. And I'm saying to you today, friend, if you will be a faithful Christian, if you will serve God as best you can, he will honor you in return. Now, let's look at verse 8, and then we're going to bring this sermon to an end. Although I have more stories if you'd like to stay till lunch. <laughs> but we'll have to do those on another day. Jesus said in verse 8, I know your works. That's what he's saying to that pastor. You're doing what I told you to do. I know your works. That's what he's saying to that window man. I saw you give those windows away. I saw that. I know your works. See? I have set before you an open door. Look at this. And no one can shut it. Now, why did he do this? Watch this. For you have a little strength. Some of you today feel like you only have a little strength left, but you still have a little. You have kept my word. Now, watch this. And have not denied my name. You have honored my name. This is the, the message to the church in Philadelphia is just this simple. Jesus says to them, and he says to us, you have honored my name, and as a result, I will honor you. 